Hi, everyone. You're listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on WTBRFM Pittsfield with Roberta McCulloch-Dews of the Mayor's Office in the city of Pittsfield. Thanks for tuning in. Today we have with us Megan Wilden, Executive Director of the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at Berkshire Community College, better known as Ali. And beyond her work with Ali, many know Megan for her pivotal work as the city of Pittsfield's first ever Director of Cultural Development, a role specifically created under the administration of former Mayor Jimmy Roberto. And under under your tenure, Megan, you founded their Thursdays, co-founded the 10 by 10 Festival, and won the first ever Creative Community Award from the Commonwealth. So we have a lot to talk about. Um, so welcome. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. It's wonderful to see you. And thank you for hosting this um, podcast. It's such a wonderful idea. You know, I think it's so important that we, we have to keep telling stories mm-hmm. about ourselves mm-hmm. as a community to ourselves to remind ourselves yes. how creative and smart and committed and diverse we are. Yes. So I, I commend you for this program. Thank you, Megan. Thank you. So let's start with a little bit of background about Megan, because Megan is well known to a lot of folks, but I never like to assume. So for those who may not know, Ollie is an organization um, that provides non-credit, non-graded courses for individuals ages 50 and older. And and for those who also may not know, Ollie is not a standalone. So it's not something that is just, you know, um, uh, specific to the Berkshires. It's actually a part of a network of fellow Ollie organizations, which are embedded in colleges and universities across the country. And there are also three other fellow Ollies in Massachusetts. And, and so Megan is a part of this wonderful organization that is really created mental stimulation for so many of our are, I don't want to say seniors because I feel like fifty. You're, I mean, when I when I first started, I had to think about language yeah. and I and all kinds of things because that's how I approach things. And I realized that um, you know that if if I were to pick a term, I'd say older adults. Yeah, but generally, I would just say people. Seriously, <laughs> yeah, I, I've done the math, and like fifty isn't like far off for me. So <laughs> I, I mean, I'm like. I'm not ready to put myself in another category. But but Megan, for so long, you have embodied all things Pittsfield. um, But Pittsfield is your beloved adopted city. You are a fifth generation Californian. Mm -hmm. You're born in Oakland and you were raised in Monterey, where your great grandfather was mayor. Yeah, sometimes I forget about that because I've I I do you know I have been involved in politics recently mm-hmm. and and civic um, engagement and stuff and then I'm like oh yeah there is kind of a legacy of of my family getting involved in issues yeah. and helping to make a community better and so forth. Did you guys ever talk about that? Well, um, not so much my great grandfather, but certainly my parents were both um, you know. They're both of their positions. They really focused on helping people. That's right, because your father was an attorney and he basically he was involved with like the Native American community. Right. Mm -hmm. And your mom actually had a really interesting role. She was like a a Zen priest. She is. But um, but she didn't become that till after she retired. She was a social worker for, uh, gosh, probably over 30 years yeah. for the county and then when she retired uh, she became a zen priest how cool now i have to ask because you you have deep california roots joan didion just passed um did you ever read any of her work 
I'm not sure if I have. That's okay. <laughs> you know, I remember reading Joan Didion um, in college, and I don't know if I, I fully appreciated it back then. So I actually kept a lot of the books that I had from college, and I found Slouching Towards Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm starting to read some of her essays again. Um, definitely really interesting prose. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll do some more. And if you get a chance, The Year of Magical Thinking... Okay. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a book that um she wrote after her husband died and um it it's a really great book. So I just I had to ask because I know that was just in the news and you are I mean, you go way back in terms of your California roots. So um that was just an interesting fun fact. Actually, the last book I read just read which mm-hmm. actually I finished this morning was um two short stories by Octavia Butler. Ah. Um, who was also a Californian. She was was born yes. in Pasadena. Yes. Um, and she was a groundbreaking science fiction That's writer. That's right. And I love her work. It's That's scary. Right. It's kind of scary, her work, and very prescient. prescient. Mm. I, I feel like I do have an Octavia Butler book at home. Um, there are a lot of books that I want to read for 2022. I made the commitment for 2021, and I am going to really be committed I think we all have our list coming up. Um, But let's get into your story. (laughs) Sorry. So the fabulous Megan that we see today, the woman who has contributed so much to the city of Pittsville, you were honed and shaped by a pretty amazing journey. So I want to talk about that. Um, And I think we have to go way back to the 80s and 90s so we can um, figure out how young, younger Younger Megan, uh, you know, um, honed her craft. Right. And so I think going back to that time, the national landscape, it was ripe with a lot of issues, social and economic um, issues and unrest in many forms. And in 92, you moved to D.C. Mm -hmm. and you worked for the AIDS Action Council. And um, if, if I have it right, this was an organization that was centered on advocacy toward really getting policy in place to support Americans who are impacted by AIDS, right? right. Education, research, and treatment. Right. And I, I, I mean, going back to that time, I, I feel like there was a lot of misinformation. Fear was still rampant. Um, I mean, we were living in a time where, I mean, we had situations like, I mean, was Ryan White? Was that like the late 80s? I'm thinking Ryan White. Yeah, the, the Ryan White um, Act. Had, had already passed, yeah, I think. Right. That was a real turning point. That, that was a turning point. And I think people realized, okay, you know, let's, you know, the, the, the views were shifted nationally. But you have often credited the work at this council as sort of serving as the foundation for your future endeavors. How so? Well, I think that it was, um, it was the... Uh, the national advocacy arm for um, for the AIDS um, network across the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that was really interesting, actually, about AIDS was because it was um, striking um, people who were prejudiced against, mm-hmm. um, basically um, LGBTQ mm-hmm. men in particular, um, they had to sort of take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. So they formed um, AIDS organizations all over the country. They ran their own fundraisers. They advocated for research. They educated each other. Um, and then we, you know, networked them all together to make, uh, you know, national change. Mm-hmm. So I think that idea of, of um, power comes 
coming sort of from the bottom up, so to speak, mm -hmm. or from the people impacted, um, was really powerful. And then on the other end, I coordinated um, what was called the National Organization's Responding to AIDS, or mm -hmm. NORA for short, and it was uh, over 160 national organizations that didn't have AIDS as their main focus, but were concerned about it. everything from the you know national, the American Hospital Association to um, just all kinds of different groups. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of um, collaboration mm -hmm. and working together um, to make things better, and I think that is always so important you can't do anything alone really you, that's right you always need to work with others mm, it seems like this was a really big undertaking did you have a team or I mean was it sort of like a, a grassroots effort what was the scene like back then well, we are kind of the suits of AIDS, okay. um, so to speak, because okay. we were we were the lobbyists. So we had, um, uh, you know, people that would go to, you know, go to uh, Congress mm -hmm. and meet with senators and stuff. And you know, if you met with a, you know, a, a liberal senator, you, you know, they, you know, some sen some some Congress people would totally understand. Mm -hmm. Yes, this is a disease we need to have stopped other others might not have that same approach and you have to then you have to think about what will move the needle for right. them what will inspire them to support um good pro good policy and, mm -hmm. and often it was financial mm -hmm. if you don't work to prevent aids mm -hmm. it's going to overwhelm your hospitals i'm just thinking now how uh, relevant that is to our current situation right and a lot of people that worked in aids when 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 COVID came it was like okay here we go again mm -hmm. kind of thing you know different but a lot of similarities right. mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I can only imagine that, you know, being able to hear the yeses, but then there's also the noes, right? Mm -hmm. And managing that. And did you feel like when you left, you left work and you went home, where did you put all of that? Because that's, that's a lot of heavy stuff. Yeah, well, and, and at that time, actually, my mother and my sister were also working in the AIDS yeah, sector yeah. in different ways. My mom, through social work, mm -hmm. she ran the program for people um, living with HIV. And she would, you know, she was always very creative in a very grounded way. Mm -hmm. So one of the things she did with, you know, with the funding was she would buy, um, you know, like bark loungers mm -hmm. for people living with HIV. So they would didn't have to stay in bed, but they could come into the yeah. living room and still kind of recline, but hang out and right. not feel so much like a patient. And the other thing was, this is way back when, cordless phones, so they could, you know, they could also talk. <laughs> so just very simple yeah. things to just improve the quality of life. And my sister was in England at the time, and she was also working for a local aid service organization that, you know, we didn't kind of put it all together mm -hmm. until I think probably at a christmas or something it's like oh three out of four of us are working yeah <laughs> you know in the hiv realm hmm. yeah it was it was it was a hard time it was oh. a hard time but we've come we've come a long way yes and um you know now we have um covid in front of us and um we have new lessons to learn and continue to learn so um a lot of good people doing that work too um but while you were in D.C., mm -hmm. Megan, um, you were doing this deeply transformative work, but you also said that from your observations, D.C. was also very segregated. Was that something that you saw just in the midst of coming and going? Um, I mean, how did you come to this realization? That's a great question. I'm not 
sure exactly, but my um, but I was always aware of it because yeah. um, DC is like is is like seventy five percent yeah black yeah and, and um, they actually but, called it the chocolate city. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, but, uh, you know, but then there's the the one wedge of the Mm -hmm. city that's white. Yeah. It was very strange to me. And actually, when I uh, worked in D.C., you know, I was working in HIV, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, um, uh, challenging. Yeah. And the working in a city where there was such segregation was challenging mm. and just working in national politics was challenging. So I decided that each year in DC was like seven normal years. <laughs> so, right. So it was, you know, so after right. three years I knew that if I didn't leave, I'd yeah. end up staying. Yeah. Um, and when I left, actually, I just, I, I just didn't, I think about politics at all for a while. So I think I kind of go back and forth um, with, you know, an intense focus and then, you know, stepping back a bit, especially in that realm, which is true also for the past, you know, four or five years. I, you know, I I co-founded the Four Freedoms Coalition and was active in the Berkshire Democratic Brigades. Mm -hmm. And this year I'm kind of taking a a year off. Um, Well, I I think you have, you know, looking at your career, you you decided to make the switch. You left politics and then maybe and and then embraced your creative side. And so, you know, you've actually dubbed yourself a creative instigator. I like that term. (laughs) I really do. I love that term. But and, and so leaving politics, you went on to hold some really interesting positions. You were an associate publisher of Parabola magazine, mm-hmm. um, a market a editor, a marketing manager and marketing director. And and so you really got into more of this creative side. Was that intentional? I think that that is um, I think that's my that's my sort of since I was a child, mm-hmm. I, I like to um make art and mm-hmm. be creative and that was sort of my label you know I was a spacey creative smart girl <laughs> in the family yeah um but uh so the arts are always close to my heart but I and I remember in high school I started getting into punk rock okay and I uh but I couldn't sing I'm a terrible singer and um I couldn't play any instruments so I'm like I'm going to be a band manager. <laughs> that was my goal. Who did time. you manage? I didn't. Okay. It. But it kind of, you know, it, 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 um, it's about supporting creatives right. too. Of course. So when you then, when you look back at what I've done by marketing and communications around the arts and literature and so forth, mm-hmm. um, that's what I've been doing is kind of lifting up and supporting other creatives, which to me is a creative thing. Absolutely, because the creatives need that support to continue their work. There always has to be someone on that back end pushing everyone forward. And speaking of just one of your particular roles, so when you're at um, IS-183, you were in the marketing director role um, and you also became friends during that time with an artist named Maggie Mailer. And I feel like for those who know sort of Pittsville lore, you know, and the rest is history, as they say. But for those who don't, please explain um, how you two became friends um, and then talk a little bit about the Storefront Artist uh, Project. Sure. Yeah. So uh, Maggie Mailer is uh, grew up in the Berkshire. She is a uh, uh, the the daughter of the late Norman Mailer, um, and 
she was living in New York City, and then after 9-11, basically, she decided to move back. And she moved back um, to the Berkshires, and she was looking around North Street, and at that time, North Street had many, many empty storefronts, M- many more than you see now, many um, many that have been empty for decades. Mm-hmm. And coming from New York City where artist space is at such a premium, it's very, you know, it's hard to get, it's expensive, you know, the apartments yeah. are small in New York and so forth. She was like, wow, all this space, wouldn't it be wonderful to put studios in it and, and have it be a... Um, have it, have the storefront window be a you know semi permeable membrane yeah. between the creative process happening in the studio mm-hmm. and then the rest of the world. So a lot of t- before that, a lot of times people would put artwork in storefront windows, but but to have the actual studio itself there was was a really new right. and interesting idea. So she literally put up one of those little pieces of paper with little phone numbers hanging off, you know. Yeah, like cut, tear th- Yeah, yeah, tear what, off phone tear it numbers. Off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. At IS183 and I I I think that's how I uh, wow. I met her. Yeah, and at that time I was was just moving from South County to Pittsfield, so I'm like, "Well, this is a really cool idea. I want, I want to help." Yeah. So um, I became one of the, you know, earliest kind of um, instigators for Starfront Artist Project. Wow. And so in your role, but she has all the credit. She has founder. all the yeah, credit. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And she uh, was she negotiated with with the different. Um, building owners and most of them said you know well nothing else is happening mm-hmm. sure you know we've tried everything um but and yeah why not you know you know if you take care of the utilities mm-hmm. you know that that's fine and it was all i it, always remembered the story so this is before then of um attempts to kind of reinvigorate uh, pittsfield and one summer they put up a big banner that said it's happening in Pittsfield and everyone was just kind of rolled their <laughs> eyes and said so you can't just yes. you have to have that mix of the bottom up creativity as well as support right you know to make it um make make more people know about it you yeah. can't do one without the other i agree i mean i i think you know it, you know being a part of the administration and understanding that well i mean you are a part of it so you know you know it's always that balance because you know the work that goes into so many things, but so but I think overcoming the um, uh, persistent sentiment, right, that maybe um, has just languished for so long, it can be a challenge. It, yeah. it can be a challenge because um, it can be hard to move from that place. And I think the work that you were a part of with that project, um, it, it was pivotal. How, how long did that last for this pro- the Storefront Artist Project? I think it lasted about a decade. Gosh, um, it kind of it, it it morphed and became you know different because it was also successful. Yeah. in that it did reinvigorate um, downtown, and mm. then the storefront started to be rented, and that kind of put the storefront artist project sort of. It's almost like the job was done, right? Well, in, the it, job is never done. No, as no. You know. well, <laughs> Megan, believe me, I know it's it's not dumb. But at the time with the storefronts, I guess, being filled up, it's almost like the job of the artist to get the attention to to create that vitality. It's almost like unless those artists stayed permanently, where would they go if the businesses started to come in? Well, that that's an excellent point. Um, and so what happened at the time was 
there were several buildings with upstairs. There was also a glut of empty office space, mm-hmm. and so and just space in general. So a lot of artists then, you know, liked being downtown. They liked being able to have coffee with the, with each other and right. see each other and have a community. And so they moved upstairs. So several of the buildings on North Street um, then hmm. were, you know, kind of warrens of artist studios. Oh, wow. Hmm. The Wright Building. Um, yeah. But it, it was a little bit, you know, hodgepodge. Hmm. Well, I mean, I think, you know, obviously, you know, going when you think back to that time and you think about just the, the work, um, you know, in terms of just today, those artists, have they morphed into groups like the Asset for Artists Project? Like, are they, do you know if it's sort of morphed into that? Like, what does that, that coalition look like today? Where do they exist? That's a great um, question. Um, there, There's always been the Berkshire Art Association. Mm-hmm. Um for, that's been around for gosh at least 30 years yeah I think that they you know kind of went back into themselves yeah um, I think that hmm. a lot of artists tend to be sort of introverted and need their alone time right. um, so they found spaces and um, mm. you know kind of uh, yeah yeah, there's, yeah so it's you know yeah it's it can be it's hard in the Berkshires sometimes mm-hmm. to well, let's talk a little bit about 2005, because in 2005, that's when you became the city's first ever director of cultural development. And, you know, we know that you put several initiatives into motion. We mentioned that at the top of the hour from Third Thursdays to the 10 by 10. Um, when you got into that role and, of course, you know, knowing that the mayor at the time, Mayor Roberto, he was a big champion of the arts. You know, he had gone away to big cities. He had seen that, you know what, if you're going to have, you know, um, um, people who are thriving, the arts and the and culture is necessary to um, to be a component of, of a, a city that's on the go and on the move. So when you got into your role, did you have an agenda? Did you say, OK, I have the top five things that I want to accomplish or did did you let things happen organically? Um, I'm more <laughs> of an organic person, yeah. but at the same time, I'm a gardener. So mm-hmm. it's about, you know, it's sort of, I, I think the way I operate is often I figure out why I did something afterwards. Mm-hmm. And it makes perfect sense strategically. But mm-hmm. in the moment, I sort of act on what feels like instinct. But it's really based on, you know, the sum total of your knowledge and experience and observation yeah. and so forth. Um, so, yeah. So I did not have a list. But you went, you you basically, so you didn't have the list. That but I you, can remember. But you saw the need <laughs> and you were like, okay, we should do this. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's. I mean, well, and you did, mm-hmm. and you did. Um, one of the things that, um, if well, let's go back to that, because if you had to pick one of your signature initiatives that to this day you look back and you say, yeah, I'm still really proud about that, which which one would it be? Well, I'm proud of all, all of them, but, <laughs> of but certainly Third Thursdays mm-hmm. has, um, is 
knock on wood, still happening, yeah. hopefully in 2022, um, which I and I think that'll be the 14th year. Mm-hmm. And what, what I'm really proud about around that is that that means kids in the in Pittsfield and the Berkshires have grown up knowing that there was like this cool, fun thing you could do downtown every month in Pittsfield. And you'd see, you know, people you know, and there'd be like surprising performances and there'd be food and you walk around and, and so forth. So to have it transform Mm -hmm. um, the next generation's idea of what their town is like, I think that is really powerful. I got to tell you, when we moved to Pittsfield, um, it was 2010, and I was pregnant with my third child, my daughter, and Third Thursday was my first. I remember, you know, going to Third Thursday, and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is great. (laughs) And, you know, we were moving, you know, we moved from a small upstate town. Um, We were there for work and you know coming from New York City you know you're used to the hustle and bustle the activity so that was a departure you know um, from that and moving here and seeing Third Thursday I was like this is great <laughs> I thought it was the most amazing thing and the kids every Third Thursday they're like are we going to the festival and they so I have to say from personal experience it was something that um, I lo- I enjoyed my kids enjoyed I think obviously the pandemic has disrupted so much, um, you know, and so we don't know what 2022 is going to hold. But, you know, hopefully down the road, we will see another um, a return mm-hmm. of Third Thursday in some form. Um, I just want to quote something that you've said, because I think it's really um, it, it's a powerful quote. You said one of my major goals was to change people's perception of Pittsville. You can't overestimate the culture of negativity that was here. I wanted to change the perception and the reality. If you only change the perception, you haven't really accomplished anything. So in cons- considering that quote, do you think that you succeeded Oh, yes. I think that, um, and I don't think it's I succeed. I think it's we succeeded Mm -hmm. or we had success and it's a continuing process. Mm -hmm. But if you think about, um, you know, Pittsfield in 2000 and, you know, two, 20 years ago, holy cannoli. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You're safe. There was no Barrington stage here. Mm -hmm. The Colonial Theater was a uh, a store. Um, there was no store for an artist project. Um, there was no third Thursdays. There was no 10 by 10. There was no, you know, there was no festivals per se. I mm-hmm. think even then the, the Pittsfield Ethnic Fair, which we had brought back and which was very popular in earlier decades, mm-hmm. um, had not come back. Um, there was no artists on North Street. There was no focus on the artists, mm. all of that. Um, and and um, downtown was, you know, very, very quiet. Mm. And there was just no idea that there could be more. Um, so you may feel like it's, you know, Pittsfield has a tendency to sometimes be negative about itself now, but it was worse. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, being able to share that history is important because people forget. I know. People forget. And it's 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 easy to see what's in front of you and say, how horrible is that? That's terrible. But when you have that collective history, you can actually say, well... It was worse. And you have that. And by you recounting all the initiatives and efforts that actually happened in that space of time, 
it shows that revitalization did happen and is still happening. And I always like to say that the best days for Pittsville are still ahead. Like, you know, I mean, you know, you have to be able to be positive, but also channel that positivity into actionable goals. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a work that sometimes may not be visible when you're in it. And not even to the people in the community sometimes because they'll say, well, nothing's happening. But because you don't necessarily see the process doesn't mean it's not happening. Mm -hmm. So very, very, very important stuff. And thank you for that history. Um, And in the words of Joyce Bernstein, you know, she dubbed you Pittsville's cultural (laughs) (laughs) Zarina. So I, I guess you, you know, you, you forever sort of have that, that title underneath <laughs> your belt. But you you left the, uh, you know, you, you left that, that title in that role and you went on to Ali and in, in 2014 and you became executive director. You were the second ever dire- um, executive director of the organization. And you're coming from this highly creative, collaborative environment with this emphasis on the arts and culture. Some would say, what made you shift to this group? Because maybe the connection maybe wasn't as apparent to some. Um, What attracted you to Ali? Sure. Yeah. One of the first um, people that came to meet with me when I became the cultural director were um, two uh, Ali volunteers, Mm -hmm. um, actually Art and Mona Sherman, uh, to introduce themselves and to, you know, let me know about what they do. And then and they invited me to give a program for Ali. So I think I did what I did was a um, uh, downtown walking tour. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly what year it was, but I always kind of had a crush on Ali. I just thought it was a really... um, fascinating organization and as someone who loves to learn and is endlessly curious and Mm -hmm. comes from a family of very curious people Mm -hmm. um so i always uh you know really enjoyed reading about their programs and so forth um and then after about 10 years with the city you know i was kind of Mm -hmm. ready for possibly something new and that job opening came up and i thought yeah, that would be a really, you know, that would be a really exciting change. And, you know, Ellen Kennedy was president and she'd been doing such great things with BCC. Mm-hmm. So I made the leap. And really, it's it's not such a change um, as people might have thought, because uh, in both cases, it was like small office, big impact. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just a few people working with many different organizations and many different, you know, individuals and volunteers to create many different programs so mm-hmm. the the variety and the creativity and working collaboratively with other people it was it was all there and there was a great opportunity also to to grow it mm-hmm. at the time the membership was dropping and it was below where it was supposed to be mm-hmm. and the marketing was very low key so you know i so i started changing that around and you know we've grown the membership by over 50 percent, i think since i've been there and the programming has gone through the roof so i've certainly well, kept it busy for l- me. listen <laughs> megan i went onto the ollie site and i'm like well i mean i know i'm not the demographic right now of the target audience but these it just looks so vibrant so interesting and i could see the megan touch <laughs> i saw your touch i'm like the way you're able to make it so appealing to the person who's not even the intended audience, they're like, wait a second, 
what's this Ollie about? And you you have part of your work, you in in addition to bolstering the membership, you know, the the collaborations are out of the box. Like you had a you have a strategic partnership with one Berkshire and the Berkshire Innovation Center to establish the tech impact forum. Okay, I would I wasn't expecting that to happen. I mean, honestly, that's that's an innovative thing. How did that come about? And was this part of your um, your mission to really position Ali as this, you know, it's not the run of your mill, you know, program for, you know, for the retiree kind of thing? Well, um, yes to all of that, but it was actually, um, it came out of, uh, and that's what's so beautiful about Ollie is it came out, it was the idea of an Ollie member, mm-hmm. and it was actually Art Sherman, who I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, who really wanted to focus on the future technology um, and learn more about it, and also try to, and try to give back to the Berkshires because Ollie is like hidden treasure. You have, uh, you know, about 1,400 members uh, from all walks of life, many of them who um, spent their professional careers in New York or Boston and then, you know, moved to the Berkshires to retire. Mm -hmm. And they they bring a wealth of knowledge and connections and energy um, to the Berkshires. So Mm -hmm. um, the idea of kind of connecting them with um, economic development was uh, really, really interesting. And so that that's how it came about. But that's also the connection between the Office of Cultural Development and OLLI is that a lot of my job, as I said, is, you know, gardener mm-hmm. in that, you know, in with uh, the city of Pittsfield, if an artist or an arts organization had a great idea, then I would help, you know, connect them to people and make Mm -hmm. it happen. And that's actually true with Ollie, too. The the fabulous thing about Ollie is the programming is pretty much all developed by the members themselves. Right. Um, And all of our instructors and speakers are volunteers. It's really just an incredible, again, ground up operation. And I love that about it. Speaking of the programming, are you able to get ideas from the your fellow Ali, you know, um, organizations and say, oh, that was a good one. We should do that here. Is, does that cross collaboration exist? Yeah, absolutely. That's the nice thing. There's um, 125 Ollies around the country and we're all sort of independent of each other. So we we share a lot of ideas mm-hmm. and experiences and best practices with each other. Um, and that's been really valuable. And then uh, since the pandemic, especially um, the New England um, Ollie directors meet once a month on Zoom, oh. and that that's been really nice. And that's um, uh, you know because there's not many parallels for what I do with other people, <laughs> right? So, so it's always good to talk to other Ollie directors because it's a it's a pretty unique and really exciting um, program. Well, uh, thinking of just where we are in terms of the territory um, and the environment um, that's just concerning now. Um, we were able to sort of go back to in-person, um, but I I feel like there's a shift that's happening right now where a lot of organizations are thinking about going back to virtual and doing different things. And um, for Ollie, you know, what do you see um, with the months ahead? Do you see it's going to be more of the same? Maybe you've already established a protocol where maybe you already have your online courses and it's not really going to be a departure. But do you see the current environment affecting Ollie in any way? Well, uh, so in March 2020, you know, we 
saw what happened mm-hmm. and uh, we knew that our members would be affected more than others because older adults are at so much more risk yeah. um, of COVID. So we decided, and we had no idea if it was going to work or not, to move all of our programming online, teach ourselves Zoom because mm-hmm. the staff didn't really know it, right. and then teach our instructors Zoom, and then teach our members Zoom. So we, and, and again, we didn't know if it would work or not, but I kind of had a feeling it would because we are a community um, of lifelong learners. Mm-hmm. So, and and it was also necessity. And by by teaching our members Zoom, they were able to Zoom, Zoom with their family, right? And you know, have online cocktail parties, and you know, play, you know, talk with their grandkids <laughs> and stuff like that. Right. So the the short the good news is it did work, and I and we actually expanded our programming and did a lot more because in some ways it was easier with mm-hmm. Zoom. You didn't have to arrange for physical space. Um, you could have speakers who lived anywhere in the world. Um, and, and our members came along with that. And we are actually one of the few Ollies where our membership actually grew rather than uh, uh, went down mm. um, during the pandemic. So then this summer, we... Um, I can't remember exactly when in the summer because mm-hmm. <laughs> really it matters because when Delta came and stuff. Right. But we um, we surveyed our members and mm-hmm. said, so um, do you guys, would you prefer all in person, all online, or a mix mm-hmm. of online and in person when, when online is no longer necessary? Right. And the great majority actually preferred a mix of online and in person because right. sometimes you want to stay in your pajamas all day. Um, and sometimes uh, you want to you right. go out and, and, and be with other people and, and to have that option. So, right. so that was great. And we were, we were pleased with that because it was, um, it just gave us more flexibility. Mm-hmm. And then we also said, well, so winter time, the winter semester of classes, and this year those begin January 18th. Mm-hmm. Um, here in New England, the weather's crappy. Yeah. And a third of our members are lucky enough to go someplace else for the winter. So we're thinking maybe we'll do mostly online for the winter. Okay. You know, what do you guys think? It, that's not exactly how mm-hmm. it was stated in the survey. But, right. <laughs> <laughs> and the majority of people said, yeah, that sounds great. So we had already, thank goodness, we had already scheduled our winter semester almost completely online. Okay. Um, and then that that has, um, I think that is a good thing. We do have two in-person classes. Okay. One is actually we've been working very hard to on a seamless hybrid format mm-hmm. where you can either attend in person or online, and the experience is not diminished for either group. Okay. Um, and so we're doing a first class like that um, this January. But the online registration is two or three times higher than the in person registration. That's not surprising. I mean, online, yeah. it really does allow for the flexibility and. It allows for participation, especially if you're not able to come through the door. So I can I can certainly see that when folks think about Ollie, what do you want? What are the first things that you want to come to mind? Well, I I want them to think about, uh, you know, uh, feeding their curiosity and about community, because a lot of it is about meeting other people Mm -hmm. and um, and uh, and working together and and creativity so i always say that you know all of our programs are created by our members so when i'm talking to members i say so if you have an interesting idea Mm -hmm. 
or if there's something that you would really like a class on, you know, let us know and, you know, find the instructor or teach yourself so Mm -hmm. that you can teach others. And that's what a lot of members do. A lot of members, maybe they, their career was as a lawyer, but their undergraduate degree was in history. So now they teach history classes because that's their first love. Um, So it's a, it's a great, it's just such a great um, creative outlet. Love it. And so much fun. Yeah. But... The fun has a very powerful, you know, um, benefits. Yeah. It's good for your mind. It's good for your quality of life. Yeah. It's good for your health. Yeah. Um, to be engaged, to be connected, um, and to be learning. All of those things are really good for people. I agree. I mean, I feel like it defies what society thinks older people should be doing, right? Like, you know, it's almost like when you get to a certain age, it's like no one wants to see you. You should just go somewhere, right? And we're all going to get there. We all are still the same thriving beings that we were throughout our lives. We're just in a new phase and we still want to be engaged, right? You still want to have those things. So um, it's, it's, it's it's a real joy, to yeah. know that we have a great organization like Ollie in our community. Thank you. Um, in addition to your professional work, Megan, you, your community work, I think, has sort of occupied a sacred space in your life as well. Um, you have been a consistent ally of so many people in the community. You have been a supporter. You have lent your physical space, um, office space, um, resources, and personal expertise to so many organizations and community initiatives. I, I know for my part, I can think of like Juneteenth. I think of the Lift Every Voice Festival. Um, I mean, those are the ones that I remember trudging <laughs> to the Lichtenstein. We'd have those evening meetings. Yeah. And um, you would just open up those doors and every, there was a table was set and it was a sense of community. And we got stuff done. Yeah, that's so nice to hear. But, yeah, the but, importance of having that seriously, common table seriously. and that space. Thank yeah, you. I mean, you know, I, w- I was new to the community, but, you know, looking back now, I look at everyone who was around the table and, you know, you were you you opened those doors. You didn't have to do it, Megan. You mm-hmm. could have. I mean, I don't know. People, would, I don't know. Maybe Gone they would have made dinner. Exactly. <laughs> but you opened up those doors and allow those conversations to happen so people could connect and do great things in the community. What was your driving force behind doing this? Because you could, your day job was enough. You mm-hmm. could have been like, I'm tired. I'm going home. <laughs> right? So what, what kept you going? I think, I, well, I think it's, it's just wonderful to help, help make good things happen mm-hmm. and help bring people together. And that's, that's a joy to me. Um, and, and one of the wonderful things about Pittsfield and the Berkshires is that an individual can make a difference. You're not in a huge city where, you know, what one person might do might be lost in in the hubbub and so forth. But it's, I, I used to say, it's, always, it's human scaled here in the Berkshires. Mm-hmm. So you can help, you know, make a difference, create something that reaches literally thousands of people mm-hmm. and help move the needle on how people think about each other and think about their community and think about the world. That's right. So it's 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 a it's an honor and a wonderful thing to, you know, play a part in. So, you know, I've shared this anecdote with you before, but um, I'll share it with our listeners as well. So when I first moved to the community, um, you know, one of the things after having my daughter, 
I realized that, you know, I love my children, but I also wanted to get involved. And um, I read in the paper about Pittsfield's 250th celebration. And I emailed someone and I'm, I'm still trying to figure out who the email went to, but we connected. We were able mm-hmm. to connect. And then I got an email back from you saying, okay, you spoke to the other members of the volunteer committee and they would love to have you join the effort. And it culminated in me cutting cake <laughs> <laughs> in the atrium of the Berkshire Museum and um, as part of this effort. And I, I realized at the time that you were someone who was so central. You were in so many different things. And um, and I knew that, wow, you're someone that I definitely want to stay connected to because you are so instrumental in so many things, Megan, Aww. and your energy. One of the things I told you about, you you had boundless energy. You still do. <laughs> yeah. Only if I drink coffee. Well, I was. Well, listen, Carolyn, I love to joke with Carolyn Valley because she always has a big tumbler of coffee. And I'm like, Carolyn, how do you sleep? But one of the things is that you've always You've done so much, boundless energy, always smiling, Hmm. always smiling. I've never seen you grumpy. I'm not saying you're not grumpy. (laughs) I'm just saying um, I've never seen it. So how do you juggle all of it? Professional, community, you know, political work. um, How how do you keep it all going? The way anybody does, I think. And and you can't, I guess you can't cannot do it all because my house is always a mess. <laughs> I, I understand. So, you know, you, you kind of choose what your priorities mm-hmm. are. And, and, you know, most of my furniture is secondhand. So if the cat scratches it, it doesn't really matter and stuff. So, yes. um, you know, my partner always focuses on experiences. You know, right. It's like experiences are what's important. So that that's really, right. you know, I think my approach as well. I, I agree with that, Megan. I think that, um, you know, we sometimes hear the, the thing or the the theme or the slogan of you can have it all. And I've long said, listen, you can have it all maybe in phases or chunks, but you're not going to have all of it. And you, I think it's that conscious decision to decide what do you want at this time? What are you going to put your energies toward and being OK with it? Yeah. You yeah. know, I think we have to be okay with it or else we'll live in a constant state of guilt and self-torment mm-hmm. that we don't, quote unquote, have it all. And then we have to also think, have it all according to who? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. Um, and you have to, and change is the only constant. Mm-hmm. So what, what you do one year might be different than what you do the next year mm-hmm. because um, priorities change you know right depending what's going on in in the world but also in your life right so this past year actually my mom was um very sick and um i actually one of the benefits of working remotely was Mm -hmm. i was able to go to california several times and i spent about three months there total last Mm -hmm. year um just to be there with her because she lives alone while she was recovering from surgery and stuff. And I was able to continue to work. So that, that was a nice thing. So that part in that way, was also kind of an enforced downtime for me, you know, because it was, my focus was just being on present with my mom and, you know, doing my work with Ollie and, and, um, you know, you were intentional, you were intentional about creating boundaries and, and what, needed to be in your space at that moment and where you needed to set your energy and your focus on 
and um and and we have to make those decisions and and family comes high on that list yeah so but i'm so grateful to bcc and to ollie for you know allowing me to to do that and um, having that work out well, I also think, too, when people know that you kind of bring the goods, you know, they know. <laughs> <laughs> they know that even wherever you are, whether you're in California or wherever, you're still going to get it done. So it's not, you know, there's probably no question. It's like, all right, you know, you know, handle what you need to handle. Um, well, I hope your mom is, is doing much better. I, I hope all is well with your family. She is. She's working on a new Ollie class for her local Ollie, ah, actually. So that's she's, right. I, I saw her recently and I took a picture of us and uh-huh. she saw the picture and she's like, that's so weird. I look so healthy and happy. And I'm like, yeah, you do, mom. <laughs> You're a lot better. She's like, Oh, well, that's yeah. good to see. I like that picture of me. <laughs> so sometimes you just have to, you know, you have to reflect back to yeah. people, whether it's a person or a community or an organization, and say, "Look, you're, you, you know, you're, you're looking good. You are. Look." Well, that's you know, that's things important. are not as bad as you think. You know, there's there's the power of the visual, mm-hmm. right? Definitely, the yeah. power of the visual. Um, speaking of that kind of power, um, who or what? inspires you well everybody that does something inspires me mm-hmm. you inspire me oh. for doing this podcast Thank on top of Megan. everything you have you know three kids <laughs> and a very stressful job Thank and you. so much else going on so that's inspiring um you know shirley edgerton who i've known now you know for almost 20 years mm-hmm. you know inspires me for everything she's done, yeah, um, and uh, and and also, and she inspires me because she doesn't give up. No, <laughs> she's the Terminator. <laughs> she's the Shirley, in a good way. Sorry, Shirley. <laughs> Shirley is she just keeps going and going. I'm like Shirley, how are you doing it all? And I mean, literally, I mean, we we're just just texting. I mean, she just she gets it done. But she she knows what she has to do and she does it. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. Um, that's not surprising that she's on your list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then my the my Ollie members yeah. are so inspiring. They they spend so much time and energy and thought into creating, you know, wonderful programs mm-hmm. uh for their own community and and all as a volunteer and being creative about it and intentional and thoughtful it's 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 i'm always so delighted we had one of the ollie members here alan rubin oh right right. yeah 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 yeah. yes they're all there are so many amazing so many amazing Yeah, yeah yeah Wow. Okay. So you have this great, so we have your inspiration. Um, We heard a little bit about, you mentioned gardening. And so would you say that gardening sort of is the way that you like to consume your, your spare time? If you have any, you just dedicate it all to gardening or do you leave some space in there for some other things? Ah, well, um, Gardening, yes. One of the benefits of gardening is you cannot look at your phone while you're gardening. Mm. It takes you away from the screen because yeah. I get a little attached to. I screen need to take a I... class with you, Megan, about <laughs> gardening. Mm. I don't know. I tried a few potted plants, like like just the potted. I don't know, like the container gardens and stuff like that. And 
they would flourish. And then I think there was seed that flew in from the wind. Like it just like settled in the container. And I'm like, I don't think I should be eating that. It started as lettuce. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, oh, when you keep oh. it on the deck and yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. it starts as lettuce, but then you start eating some foreign like weeds or something oh. because like maybe there's it just starts to germinate from seeds that fly in. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I probably need to maybe just take a class with you. Well, I don't know about that. Right now, my <laughs> <laughs> my my garden doesn't look like a garden to most people because it's a pollinator garden. What does so that mean? That means that it's full of natives. It means it's not a lawn because okay. lawns are not good for the okay. environment. All right. Um, it means that there's all kinds of different plants and flowers. It means you don't cut it down at the end of the year so huh. that it looks all neat because the insects like to live... Like like mm. in the stalks oh. and the birds like to eat the seeds. Um, so huh. it, it doesn't look tidy. Okay. And I'm sure my my neighbors are not <laughs> thrilled with it. So I, I actually got these little signs that say, this is a pollinator garden. They're so like, they oh, is that what she's calling it? So that's part of it is re- okay. reframing. Right. I reframed my front yard. <laughs> it is a biodiversity preserve. Yes. All right. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. I like that. Well, you're 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 making your contribution to the environment. You're doing your part. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I guess yes. Okay, I mean, okay. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. But you know, and one of the, one of the other things that I only recently kind of put together yeah. in my head about um, working for the city of Pittsfield and then working for Ollie was yeah. in both cases. Um, I was working for something that was underappreciated hmm. um, and under, you know, under, 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 under understood. Yeah. And the first was the city of Pittsfield itself. Mm-hmm. And the second was older people um, encountering the prejudices against both of them. Because, right. you know, if, with Pittsfield, certainly people within Pittsfield have some self, you know, negativity. But then also outside the rest of the Berkshire County had some very you know, virulent um, anti-Pittsfield mm-hmm. um, sentiments, mm-hmm. um, which is all another story. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so, so I realized. Well, in both cases, it was it was about, you know, taking something that was really wonderful, but that people had negative self images about mm-hmm. images about, and and you know, polishing the mirror and showing that actually Pittsfield is a beautiful place to mm-hmm. live, full of wonderful people, and older adults are a huge asset with lots to give back and lots of life and energy and creativity in them. So I thought, oh, that's kind of what I like to do. I mean, since you put it that way, um, I think it it does sum up um, what you have accomplished. I mean, you'll forever go down in history as the first, right? And I, I think we don't really think about ourselves as sort of like, history makers, right? But, um, you know, I like to, in in the Eagle, they will have sort of like those, um, the stories from years ago um, Mm -hmm. that they select. And you read about, um, you know, this this snapshot in time um, on a variety of topics or whatever was trending at that time. But when someone, whether it's Google years down the road, I don't know what the next thing will be mm-hmm. but when they look up your name it will always be attached to that 
to be in the first. And I think that there's something to be said for being a part of a foundation, right? Um, no one can ever take that away. Sure. Yeah. And and it's fun. I, I'm like you said, I think of myself as a creative instigator. Mm-hmm. So the, cre- you know, making something bloom uh, is 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 a wonderful thing. Yeah. And then you have to eventually you have to hand it off to somebody else to others. You know, you pass it along to, um, you know, for it to continue. And that's a different skill. There's yeah. always the starters, and then there's the continuers. Succession. So it's yeah. Uh, yeah so it's a, a partnership. Yeah, that's important because sometimes we want to hold on to things, and we can't. It's not meant for us to. Right. You right. have to release it. You've done your work. The assignment is complete. Yeah. Then you have to move on. Yeah. What does 2022 have in store for Megan Wilden? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, um, I'm, you know, always excited about it. Um, the other thing I like to do um, is travel. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that we'll be able to, to travel more. Hopefully. Um, you know, in some ways, what I want to do now is is sort of improve what's there. So we've really grown Ollie. We have an incredible array of programming. Mm-hmm. And I really want to just make sure we're doing the best we possibly can. Right. Um, so that 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 is what I hope to focus on um, and learn some new skills so I can, you know, do what I do even better. That's always a lot of fun also. And if people want to learn more about Ollie, where can they go? Now's the time for your plug, Megan. Yeah, sure. So you can go to BerkshireOllie.org. That's Berkshire, O-L-L-I.org. And the important thing to remember is that while we're designed especially by and for people 50 years and better, Anyone can join us and anyone can take a class. Uh-huh. So you don't have to wait till you're 50. And we've had um, people as young as in their 20s join because they our classes are so great. Um, so they wanted to take them. Mm-hmm. Our uh, winter semester of classes begins the week of January 18th. And all but two of them, well, actually all but one of them is online. Okay. Um, so and the nice thing about the online classes is um, you can attend them live, which is great because you can ask questions and there's interaction. But if you miss a class or mm-hmm. you can't take it at that time because you're working or something, you we can we'll send you the recording afterwards so you can then watch it on demand. Excellent, Megan. It's been great going down memory lane with you, and I hope 2022 um, is a year that. Uh, just creates more certainty in so many ways. Um, And I hope it brings you all that you want um, and hope for. And I just want to thank you for a really great conversation. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you. This has been wonderful. Thank you, Roberta. All right, everyone, you've been listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on WTBRFM Pittsfield with Roberta McCulloch-Dews of the Mayor's Office in the city of Pittsfield. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great day. What is One Berkshire? We're the voice of the business community, promoting the region and supporting local business. How do we do it? Through marketing, networking, sponsorships, and advocacy. 
Whether it's promotion to travelers and second homeowners or opportunities to network with your neighbors and raise your profile, we've got you covered. So join today. Visit oneberkshire.com. That's the number one, berkshire.com. The preceding public service announcement courtesy of WTBR and Lee Bank. Hi, this is Kevin Cahill inviting you to join me on St. Patrick's Day as WTBR brings you a marathon of my show, Sunday Sounds of Ireland. Beginning at 10 a.m. on March 17th, I am thrilled to bring you eight hours of the best of Irish music. Enjoy eight hours of Irish music beginning at 10 a.m. on 89.7 WTBR-FM. Support for this program comes from Dwyer Funeral Home, Patrick's Pub, and Greylock Federal Credit Union.